This is the Off Duty On Duty Podcast, episode number 85. I'm your host, Brian. Welcome to the podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network, along with Firearms Trainers Podcast, and of course, the ConcealedCarry.com Podcast with Riley Bowman. The Off Duty On Duty Podcast, we take topics relevant to today's gun owners, and we tackle them from the the perspective of everyday concealed carriers and law enforcement officers to give you both angles of discussion. Today, I am joined by DB. Again, DB's back. It's been a little bit. And we're going to talk about making forced decisions. But first, our sponsors, of course. Newest sponsor to the podcast is KSG Armory. Custom handmade Kydex holsters made right here in the USA. Check them at uh, ksgarmory.com. Check them out. CCW Safe, of course. Off-Duty 10 gets you 10% off your membership. And EDC Belt Company, the foundation belt. Pick one up today at edcbeltco.com. All right, kids. Let's bring in our guest. Welcome back, DB. It's been like three whole episodes since you've been on. And uh, now that you... Uh, I, was, uh, I was worried that Haney might get an up on me or something. I got to start banking these. Yeah, Haney and I <laughs> talked today. Uh, <laughs> see, see. Yeah, but uh, we we didn't record today. We both had some stuff going on, but I fully fully intend to get Haney back in the rotation. Uh, can put us on together and just break the internet forever. It might. There's, <laughs> it might. there's potential for should, fallout. There's yeah. certain things that shouldn't be in the same that? room. Ghostbusters don't cross <laughs> yeah. the stream. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so now that you're in the exciting line of, uh, or the exciting new career field of uh, taco truck operator. Yeah. Is, uh, <laughs> well, I'm working on my recipes right now. Is uh, I've decided I'm going to be a taco. Well, you know, because I make, amazing tacos i i've yet to sample them but i will take you on <laughs> your word be, i mean you know yeah i'm doing everything from ribeye to alligator and everything you know la tacos man that's my thing tacos it's a it's LA, taco. <laughs> la tacos there is a hashtag campaign currently underway. <laughs> like, well, yeah that's you know i mean why be in the tactical world when i'm much better off probably in the taco world that's well better, better suited so yeah, and there's there's not as much self-professed expertise. There is no, self-professed just, advertising, just, but right. But you know, most people are just sluts for tacos, so <laughs> they should be okay. Yeah, I'm gonna have DB's taco hose. <laughs> uh, can I get the Can I get the first tankini to go? Yeah. yeah. So. Oh man, so we want uh, the the actual reason that we are here to to chit chat is. Uh, Making forced decisions, and you pitched this earlier in the week, and I was like, "Ooh, you know, we we've talked about the operational shooting side of things and the aftermath of things and the training side of things, which, but we've never really talked about the actual making of a forced decision, right? So, yeah. So let's start with what is a forced decision? Well, you know, I figured I would talk about uh, match planning first. For USPSA or halo jumping, we can do either one because I really don't know much about either one, but that seems to be the criteria for uh, force application. What about fast roping? 
yeah, it's not doing not knowing a darn thing about it, and then you're never doing it before, but you're an expert because we get a lot of that in our industry of being experts on force application. So, yeah, it's you know it's 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 extremely complicated and it's hard to get good at. Um, so, what exactly like like let's so, let's take the DB definition of making a force decision, like just kind of in a roundabout. So here's here's DB goes through this thing, and I stole this. Uh, from a former Delta guy named Gene Zink back in the day. And I, oh, yeah. it was one of those things that when he, he talked about, I'd probably teach it different than he did, but the, the concept was so good and so simple. I had to steal it. So I start with this, the C thing, S E E. So it's C evaluate, eliminate. And you, you need to use your senses to find threats. I do a whole lecture on this in my classes. And it's usually visual. So we start with a C and then you got to evaluate these threats uh, based on legal criteria, moral, ethical situation. There's a lot going on there in the evaluation stage. And it's different for everybody. And this is where it's going to get complicated. And then once you get to a certain phase in the, the threat assessment, you've got to eliminate that threat. And that's where these, the, the kind of the combination of the evaluation and the elimination of threat is sort of where that force application comes in because one is going to guide the other one. So what you're seeing has to then get eliminated and it, it, it's going to be different for everything. Um, it, it, it's incredibly fluid. There's not a whole lot of, um, certain defined lines that ever come true in the real world. So most people have this sort of fantasy thing, say on the citizen side of, you know, you're at the ATM guy comes up, sticks a gun in your back. You turn around you do your subsecond draw from appendix and, you know, shoot him whatever times in the A zone and under a second. And that's how it's going to go. And, or, you, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night, burglars in the house, you know, wearing a mask the whole nine yards and you, you know, you go out and you shoot them, shoot them into the ground in the living room or whatever. Cops, right. it's always some some easy armed robbery problem. You know, you pull up and they're coming running out of the store with guns, guns, in, guns, right. guns in the hand. And it's, it's a simple thing. And you know what happens is once in a while, those things all do happen. Right. Rarely. <laughs> Rarely. <laughs> no, I mean, I can, problem. I can yeah, think of a couple of times in my career yeah. of 20 years now. Just one or absolute two. anonymous. Yeah. And you know, it's like of all those shootings I investigated, you know, 75 and shooting, doing the firearms work up on shootings. Out of the 75, exactly one was literally one of our guys and a murder suspect facing off in the middle of the street like it looked like something out of an old West thing of trying to outdraw each other. And the guy, the good guy was one of my TAC officers in the academy. He had been shot in a robbery before. He was sort of a hero, dude. One of the best cops I've ever worked with. He also married me. Um, and he was the, and one of the most legendarily brutal dudes I've ever been around. Um, on, on a scale that's that was was almost to the point of funny. Um, was, this is like the last human you want to mess with, but he was a pastor on the side. 
Right. And when gotcha. he came to our agency, I had sold them my speed competition holster. It was a Hoyt with the longest drop and the f- hardest forward rake to it. Because when he came to our agency, he needed to go to a four-inch uh, 45 Colt right. uh, revolver from a five, 686 or whatever you're shooting at the sheriff's department. And so I wasn't using the holster anymore because I had gone to the uh, Rogers SS3's Farland 070. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I drew backwards, basically. So this thing kind of didn't work for me anymore. But it's where he used to shoot competition at. And uh, he was using that holster. And it was the one thing where it's like literally the fastest holster money could buy. Standing out in the middle of the street, bad guy pulls a gun from appendix. He pulls his out. Boom, it's over and done with. And uh, he shot the guy kind of centered centered up uh, just below the kind of the rib cage, kind of high abdomen shot and dumped the guy like a sack of you know, cement with a 45 Colt round, which most of those were always that way. And that was the end of that. But other than that, so you had one out of 75. The other ones were absolute chaotic clusters. Yeah, I mean, oh, absolutely. Just, you know, and some were good, some were hostage shots that guys took, some were, and some were absolute abortions. And I mean, just absolute force abortions. Um, you know, so these things never kind of work out. What I used to tell my guys is, you know, most of the police shootings are tactical failures. Um, is only because of the nature of the job, you know, calling all cars, you know, guys in the word of Balaclavas and body armor and AK 47s robbing the bank and everybody's driving. Well, it used to be everybody's driving a hundred miles an hour to go get in a gunfight with a pistol. Right. Um, not, not anymore, but that yeah. used to be sort of the standard and which is a tactical failure right there. Cause you've been driving a hundred miles an hour, the opposite way. Um, in the citizen world, we find that a lot of people, uh, there are a lot of tactical failures out there. I mean, how many shootings are we seeing over, you know, parking spaces and, gee, you parked in the handicap zone. Somebody's getting murdered over a mask. You know, I mean, just stupidity of stuff. So for every one of the big, righteous, perfect, great applications of force one, there's a bunch of abortions out there. Right. And, you know, we came from a lot of us from an era when uh, FTO training was really a thing. I mean, it was really difficult. It was hard. And you know, they got say. You into, <laughs> and they got you into, well, the goal was to wash you out. The goal was not to keep you. The goal was really to kind of make sure you know, try to wash you out. And part of that was seeing was letting you practice screwing up at force application with supervision, basically. And I, you know, after 20 years of law enforcement, one of the most distinctive things were some of the stuff I saw the first week on the job and certainly the first couple phases of uh, FTO training, because those were all of the screw up, weird, bad, goofy things that experience came from, you know. Literally, my, my first knockdown drag out fight, you know, that's where it happened at, you know, right. in phase yeah. training, you know, you know, first time I ever pointed a gun at somebody was in phase training, you yeah. know, all and it happened a lot. I mean, it was Same like, here. Lee, you know, yeah, but, I mean, you know, when you're 20, in... 20 something odd times the first week, I'm like, God, we're pointing guns at everybody, you know, but yeah. the first, but then but you start to mission. figure out how to get better at it. Yeah. And, you and know, and they, they kind of kept you from getting. Yeah, and your FTO's job was to kind of not let you screw up too bad. And, and but you to needed put to kind of screw up those. a little. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, everybody got the one, you know, where your FTO got you into, you know, that call came out. Everybody knew what it was going to be. And their FTO, you know, we'll take that for training. 
Yes. And this is going to be the call you're going to get in a knockdown, drag out fight with some animal with nobody coming to help you. I bet it, to when, see if you can, <laughs> to see if you can, you when, know, because they want right. to see if you get hit. When you, you said, know. you know, drawing, pointing guns at people, um, I bet probably for the next, after field training, for the next 10 years, I didn't point my gun at as many people as I did in that four month period. And I, I don't say that like, oh, we were just being reckless. It was the FT, FTO's job to put you into that scenario in over yeah. and over until you yeah. got to the point that when you didn't need to point guns at people, you didn't point guns at people. Yeah, you got to kind of see that, you know, I was pointing guns, you know, the first, you know, three, four, you know, the first three phases for me, I got out a phase early, which was good. Um, uh, yeah, I didn't have to do my fourth phase because I was doing good enough in the first three. You know, it was kind of a different time. And you, you sat there and go, well, you know, maybe some of these people are not as scary as I thought they were my first you know, right. right. My first three months after that, they weren't as scary anymore. You you know what I mean? So, so my, your level of fear, your level of understanding, your level of what you're looking for. So a lot of these things get back to that evaluation and elimination phase, you know, of what we're doing in there. And it's the evaluation stage is incredibly complicated kind of based on scenario. So if you're in the U.S. military in a conventional war somewhere, everybody not wearing the same uniform as you is pretty much good to go. That's the evaluation phase. Right. You know, is you get to shoot shoot all the Nazis you want. Yeah. I mean, it's okay. And on the, by the same token, your typical homeowner inside their home at night are pretty good to go on just about anything that you don't own. Even if it outside of that isn't really a righteous shooting, just the factor alone is where we kind of get these kind of castle doctrine things that there's sort of a given that you're in enough fear to justify it. As soon as you walk outside the house, you almost go to cop rules. Mm hmm. And that's why I tell people when you're inside your own home, you get some real benefits for that. As soon as you go outside with your concealed weapons permit or constitutionally carried firearm, uh, you're going to be kind of subjected to the same standard that whatever cops around you are being subjected to, that's kind of yours. So when you elected a Soros DA in your area, that's kind of going to be you getting subjected to that stuff with the same media pressure, social pressures, uh, morality issues, ethics. None of this is legally based. This is just how it works. And those are all going to be factors in the force application. Then you get into the actual elimination of threats that you've evaluated that need to be eliminated. And, you know, some threats are things like, I smell gas. You go outside and call a fire department. That's how you eliminate that threat. You know, right. um, <laughs> you know, so there's other threats in life. But if we're talking on actual force application in a criminal, you know, you're keeping it within the criminals thing. We have to start looking at it. Is subject armed? Uh, is there a disparity of force issue? Um, are there multiple suspects? Are all the suspects armed? What's the, what's, what's everybody doing? 
what's the crime they're attempting to commit that's even getting you involved in this? There's a whole gamut going on that you have to make complex ongoing decisions. It's constantly changing in those. And having done this for real is it, it drives me absolutely insane when I listen to people going, well, it'll be just, you know, if I, if I can adapt to a missing on a Texas star or shooting some match that has multiple targets on it, it'll be like shooting, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, boarding house rules. Everybody gets one helping before you go back for what, you know, I'm like, you ever shot multiple, you ever been in an event with multiple felons? Cause I have, and it didn't go like that. You, you know, again, you know, fire shot, make sure, you know, okay, I'm sure that one probably hit. Go to suspect two. Oh, shoot, suspect one's not down doing something right. else. You know, now we're tracking. Now, do I go from one to two or, oh, shoot, one's running to another vehicle to go carjack that thing. I better go stop this idiot right now. You know, break a 47-yard shot, roll him up, go back to suspect two. Oh, this guy's still standing out there with a gun you know do i just shoot him or well, the guns the guns by his side i gotta illuminate him right 40 something yards out and then pick up what's he doing with the gun he still has it's off of a car jack it, there's so much going on in these decisions you don't get to just press the trigger sometimes you do usually you don't so and, in 20 years i have talked to one Count them one person who had a multiple assailant gun. Well, I guess it was, it was a almost a two-way gunfight, and it was three-on-one. It wasn't in the continental United States. The guy cited a USPSA shooter for saving his life because he had trained to shoot transitions at the same speed he shot splits, and he puts six rounds out, two on each bad guy, and then comes back and one of them is no longer there. So he saw it, he eliminated, and it was a righteous deal. Uh, the guy was a former unit dude, and he's like, even in armed conflict, that was an anomaly. That was a complete right. anomaly. There are onesies out there. And, you know, so we, we go back to basing all of this stuff on anomalies. You know, it was like, how many years did we do unsighted point shooting with a gun not in the eye line because Jelly Bryce could see bullets in flight? Yeah. Jelly Bryce was a freak. Period. He was a freak. And he had freakish vision, freakish skills, and he just found the right job, sort of like Colonel Askins, if you're going to be, you know. Yeah. If you're going to be psychologically prone to killing people, maybe working the border patrol and killing Nazis is a good place for you to be. You know, funny but, Jelly Bryce backstory. They just yeah. tore down the uh, the old uh, headquarters where he grew up, and yeah. there were there were dudes that had like second and third order connections to him when I hired into mm -hmm. police work. That dude was so freakish; he practiced in front of a mirror two hours before he went on shift. How many right. guys you know, do you know that are practicing nobody, a no, sub-second no, draw for two hours in front of a mirror even today? Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll do a Scotty Reitz quote. You know, I'm talking about guys like Bill Jordan and some of these guys were free. He goes, you know, they didn't have TV and golf. 
<laughs> you know, that's yeah. all they did. <laughs> you know, they just, yeah, they didn't have television and golf. So they had know, a backyard and yeah, playing yeah, cards, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, so it, it, it becomes one of these things that these things are sort of these anomalies, and we're always practicing for anomaly. We're practicing for the stuff that's not, that doesn't happen a lot. How many times have you seen multiple suspects? Okay, that's normal. That's actually not an anomaly. Right. Crooks like to work in groups. How often are they all there doing the exact same thing after the first shot goes off? Anomaly. Anomaly. Yeah, usually if you do a real good job and pick the worst of the bunch, as soon as that first shot goes off, if you anchor that one, uh, everybody's seeing a promotion chain going on that not being there is a good idea. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I mean, and again, these things happen. I mean, most of these things, watch, some of these videos, you know, as soon as the victims start going to guns, watch the scatter to get the hell out by the bad guys. N- now, what are, what are you basing your threat application on? And do does the speed of those shots or what you're doing match your speed of ability to apply force legally? See, right. applying force illegally is super easy. It's super easy. See, in, in, in applying force legally under constitutional guidelines within the continental United States is very, very difficult. So we get into this mistake of listening to people with no experience advocating for doing these things that are not applicable within what we're doing. And it's kind of mind blowing how much stake we're putting in without the big picture. So again, how much time are we spending on what are we doing for elimination? Right. You know, cause elimination is going to be, you know, it might be presence. It might be a gun pointed at them. It might be pepper. It might be uh, an edge weapon. It might be physical force and it might be all of them. At varying but, times, but, yeah. Right. But as soon as you go from the elimination doesn't work, you got to go back to evaluation again. See, if your pepper spray doesn't work, you got to start the process over again on the evaluation and elimination before you get to move to the next phase. And the same thing goes with every single time you press the trigger. We've talked about this before. You're committing a crime. Every time you press a trigger. So when you press a trigger, the police report is going to list you as a suspect uh, for either attempt homicide or homicide. And in that process of you determining that you need to use lethal force to commit one of those two crimes, you have to know what the legal justification is for being um, as an excuse or justification for committing those crimes to be not held criminally liable for them. Yeah. You're, you're looking for that statutory exemption buried in some legal language somewhere that you yeah, and it's want to know. And it's not even in the good stuff. It's down in a one B or something like that down right. there. So this is what you're trying to dig out. And just the fact that you point a gun at it is a crime. 
you point a gun at somebody in this country, you're committing a felony that can land you in state prison and take away your right to ever own a firearm again. The the mere pointing of one. But we don't want to take rule um, two very seriously all of a sudden. You know, it's like when I teach these classes now, they're not no-shoot targets. They're no-cover targets. Yeah, That's everything down there. And the bad guys are shoot-no-shoot. Everything else down there is a no-cover. You know, it's funny. You go to these things, and they put a big white X on it or a red X or something that, like, don't shoot that. It's not don't shoot that. You can't cover that. Yeah, you can't even point a gun at it. You can't point a gun at it. You just committed a federal. You just committed a statutory felony by pointing a gun at it. And how many of us are going out and training to do this with little thought and then justifying is it's okay. It's not. Now it's okay. If the match rules, if you know, whatever play sport you're doing or whatever fantasy football you're setting up or whatever, and you do it out there. I mean, don't break the 180. Nobody cares. Okay. But that's don't sell me that and quit selling everybody else that that that's what the real world looks like, because it doesn't. And that comes with potential huge consequences. And again, most of the people who are advocating this stuff are as qualified to speak on it as I am for match planning and halo jumping. Fast rope. You forgot fast roping. I've done that though. I've actually well, I have too, but I don't know how to. I don't know anything about it. I shouldn't be instructing on it though, you know, or for a guy who can't tie knots. You know, you don't want me hooking the fast rope up. That's yeah. You know, (laughs) I tell people I've done it, but if we had to do it tomorrow, I can tell you how to hold the rope. Nothing else, right? You know, I mean, I've done the rappelling down the elevator shaft thing just because you know you got to do that if you have the opportunity, but. you know, but but I shouldn't be teaching classes on it. The last people I should be lecturing on that are people do that for a living, which are few, you know. And so, again, you know, we're sitting here. I'm reading all this stuff on social media about, you know, oh, yeah, this is applicable or God, you don't, you know, whatever. And again, it's all being penned by people with no experience doing it at all. Yeah. It's like, and that's why I said, you know, I'm better off just, just going out there and going, Hey, I'm DB. I make tacos and I don't have any experience in violence and stuff. Cause that will make it more marketable, you know, and then go get some rating and some, some place board or something. I don't know, you know? Um, cool. and, and again, the, the, there's certain facets to this too, that have to be taken out with application. Again, every time you press the trigger, is a force application. Every time you point a gun, something is a force application. Every time you bring a gun into the equation, it's a force application. Every time you use a harsh word is a force application. Every Uh, time you're present is a force application. These are all applications of force that have to be articulable to use. And Again, none of them are going to be the magic wonder pill. Sometimes they are. They usually aren't. Um, you know, if I if I had a nickel for every, well, your apple shot, and as soon as they hear that noise, they'll all surrender. And I'm like, you know, 
have you ever done that before? Because I am the guy who racked the shotgun. And the only thing it did is the crooks prepared for a fight. Because it was kind of funny. I've talked about this before. When I was in the interview, you know, the Texas asked me, they go, what condition was the shotgun? And one got out of the car. And I go, I think I'd got, I think I'd racked it in the car. And it was across my lap. They look at Tex, look at me, and they go, no, you racked it when you got out of the car. I'm all, oh, okay. And they go, yeah, both crooks in the interview said, yeah, as soon as he racked the shotgun, we knew it was on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. so both criminals knew the shotgun got racked. It, it didn't change anything. Nobody gave up. They actually anchored in for a fight as soon as they heard the shotgun got racked. Yeah. So every time I hear this, I go, can you have, can you tell me for sure what that is? Because usually the crooks who run, if you rack a shotgun as an application show of display of force, well, same ones. If you say, if you turn a light on or go, I'm calling 911, those are the same guys who run. It's those guys. They, they probably will. And, and again, you get back to this question is how much time are we spending understanding force application or even practicing it with what is the process I need to go through every time I press a trigger? And we don't do a lot of it. You know, when I do these classes now where I'm teaching all the high accountability stuff, I mean, I'm having people outright just commit murder after murder, you know, using tape. And all you got to do is look at the tape and it'll tell you what to do. Yeah. As simple as that is, you know, you don't cover anything, you know, that is, you know, not a bad guy that's armed. And uh, here's what'll indicate, you know, a gun or whatever. And here's how many times you shoot it and knock yourself out. (laughs) And people go like, Oh my God, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. I go, you can imagine if these are all real, you know, how, how complicated this would be. And, and you don't get, and we don't all sit around and kind of get a giggle out of your mistakes when you kill stuff that you're not supposed to. And you know, I think like on the training side, right. You know, my, my lane is kind of like, I've done some cool stuff with a revolver. I've, done, I've I'm a shooter by nature. I will teach you how to make that gun run and dispel the myth that's associated with a lot of the jumbled fundamentals. I don't teach app high level applications of force. It's not my lane. I don't teach USPSA stage planning. Not my lane. But and you can do PPC. I can I can show you how to shoot PPC. I can right, show you how to shoot your, your gun yeah. to the mechanical accuracy in a very short period of time. Uh, it, you know, without a lot of the mental application stuff. It's just let me show you how to do the the bare minimum to make this thing shoot to mechanical accuracy, and then from there we we the point that I get out of that is from there if I can make this process of how to pull a trigger and not move the gun and park around where you want it expeditiously, not fast per se, but, uh, with, with the elimination of a lot of brain power. Now I can free your brain power up to think about the situation you're in because you have so much more computational power to now see and evaluate because the elimination phase, which is yeah. put sights, press trigger, rinse and repeat, that becomes a very, very simple process. It's the other two that I don't teach that. I go, well, you want to learn you that? Know, the, Call Daryl. Like, go right, see that. The problem, 
and the problem comes in. So I'm not really the guy. And, you know, the benefit for me of teaching with Dobbs is I got one of the best marksmanship guys on the planet stand there to teach the marksmanship right. stuff, you know, and there's plenty of people out there now to teach you to press trigger fast. Right. I don't need to, I don't need to do that either. I mean, I really don't need to teach you. Don't come to me for that. That's not my gig. What I'm, my gig is teaching to press a trigger with consequences involved. And where I'm, I'm starting to see the problem is, is instead of people doing kind of the explanation you just gave, which I'm teaching you how to do a technical skill that is simply a technical skill that is part of the operation of that firearm with a level of competency is when we start justifying or try to plug that in to force application where what you're practicing is making permanent. What are you putting in the subconscious and where is it getting put in? And this incredible emphasis on split times, recoil control, things like that to where we can actually shoot this thing super, super efficiently, faster than we can think. I have to ask, what are your goals? Because if your goals is to get uh, ratings or a, a trophy or whatever, knock yourself out. I mean, that's what this world's all about for a lot of people. But if you're going to try to sell that to me, is that that is somehow the equivalent of making correct force decisions with high level consequence, I'm going to call, I'm going to throw the bullshit flag. Yeah. Yeah. Period. And, and you can get mad about it. And I can tell you that, that, that you trying to justify that is the equivalent of me as a taco guy trying to explain to you how to be a GM in USPSA at best. I mean, you know, I, I don't think I've shot a USPSA match in forever. And I was like, my God, that takes a lot of ammo and um, effort. Yeah, I shot and time. The one, the one yeah, yeah they were, were, I had some guys trying to get me to do that. So I'm showing up in duty gear with a USP 45. And I'm like, you know how many magazines that took me to finish a stage? I mean, I just don't carry that many. I mean, these things are expensive too. You know, it was like, <laughs> right. it was like, this was kind of fun and you did a lot of shooting, but God, I don't want to do this every week. I certainly didn't want to put the work in to get good at it. Um, you know, so no diss on anybody who does that. It takes a ton of work by the same token. Don't diss the work of the people who went out and had to deal with hardened felons on a daily basis to understand the skill sets available for how to make force application decisions I, on a regular basis, because we can probably teach you a lot how to do it. And if we tell you what you're doing is setting yourself up subconsciously to make some mistakes. There's going to be some equivalency issues here and you got to kind of balance what you want out of the end of the equation. And I'm not saying you can't, shoot competitively and sport shoot and defensive carry, but you better be drawing some really hard lines in the mindset thing, as opposed to what I am constantly seeing now is justifying blending those lines. Well, I'm getting really good at transitions because if there's multiple bad guys, 
how much work did you have to do on making, doing a C, evaluate, eliminate, not only on every bad guy, because you got to do that for every one of them, every shot on every bad guy. How much work did, was put into that? Right. Oh, well, but it'll just go, it, it won't. It won't. If you're on autopilot on doing that, it won't. It is not going to be as cool as it looks on YouTube. It is not going to be a, uh, you're not going to get six people lined up that you get to put two in each with your carbine in the United States until we get to some sort of civil war nightmare scenario and nobody's there yeah well we're at the you know if we're at the complete degradation of civilization the united states skills will be great but we're not quite there yet and a matter of fact we're at the breaking point before we get there you know we just had the mall shooting we're kind of talking about and you know i'm seeing stuff like oh my god the vigilante violated a sign but you, you know, are you freaking kidding me? This is there's actually people out there, and not just like one. There's a whole bunch of people out there that that's a concern. You know, we just had the Bodega stabbing. Yeah, and if it didn't take, uh, it took an act of God, literally, to get that DA to go. Well, I just don't have enough to file right now. Still, put the guy. If it wasn't for, you know, the the notoriety, if that wasn't on video. Yeah, that would have been bad. With Soros DA, that dude would still be sitting at Rikers. Well, something I, I we were talking about the mall shooting offline because uh, I was about a hundred miles south of it when it happened because I got an Is alert this? on my phone and went, "Oh, I'm kind of close to that," and, yeah. and didn't know what it was. And you know, it was like, "Okay, there's there's been this incident." Not a oh, big for deal. those outside of our area in Texas, Oklahoma terms. A hundred miles is close. Yeah, that's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's like DB advice me for tacos going, right? right? So yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I see that and I go, oh, okay. And I kind of, I didn't brush it off. I, I read a little bit of the, the initial reports on it and it was, you know, and basically a concealed carrier shoots a bad guy. Awesome. Great. Great on him. I get on Facebook the next morning. And the very first comment I see on a Fox News deal is he fired 10 rounds. I hope the other two didn't hit somebody innocent. Now, this is a dude that stepped way into the realm of like act immediately. And it no doubt he did some heroic stuff, right? But the first concern on a conservative news post that I caught wind of was he fired 10 shots. I hope the other two people or. The other two rounds didn't hit somebody they didn't need to. Yeah. Can you imagine what it was like on MSNBC and Politico? Right. You know, so that is, you know, for me, I gauge that and I go, man, this dude fired the initial reports. And, you know, we don't buy the media stuff. You and I don't. A lot of the cops, we know how that spirals. I get it. But even I went, well, they kind of got a point. The conservative media putting that out. And now we have people questioning, well, he, fired 10 shots and he only hit the guy eight times where the other two go you know this is stuff yeah, that yeah, and you and i really, and, and all these and other really people I'm, I'm the guy holding out for the autopsy a- as know, am because, i because you know the last time we've had similar to these whether it was garland and the story was a little different i know the pretty well the backstory on garland right. it wasn't quite what the press put out um of all the 
you know, um, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there that never turned out to be quite the truth. is kind of in the middle, you know, the ghost of Kiev. Right. Um, yeah. No, the guys, the guy dropped seven Soviet, you know, advanced fighters. Sure. He did. Yeah, <laughs> sure exactly. Did, you know, yeah. I'm like, yeah, Daryl's the ma- the bad guy, the Russian lover, because he's sitting there going, I don't think that happened. Um, you know, great if it did, but I don't really think it did. That's that's you know my reputation of you know, you know raining on everybody's parades. So you know, again, I'm going to wait to see some autopsy and police reports, and then we can start making some evaluation. The reality is, whatever the guy did was awesome. Period. Okay, drop the end. Now, now we can sort of digress into details before everybody starts turning. And again, you know, I'm, it, it took one day. And I'm reading, you know, we're doing Dickinson drills. It's a oh, USP. God, we're yeah. gonna my next the, the next USPA match. Every one of them, it's gonna be a stage now. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, yeah, right. So, it, I, I totally get it. When Jack, when Jack, what's Jack Wilson did that? Yeah, like two days thing. later, there was. Well, you got to do this at this day, and I'm like. Guys, I kind of I understand your enthusiasm to recreate this, but I can 100% assure you that whatever type of circumstance you're trying to replicate here is nothing more than something to earn a trinket or say you could do it too. It, and yeah, I, is what's the purpose of you doing that? Exactly. Other than it, it, we had a we yeah, had an incident this, here. Should this be a, should that. this be a thing for people to go? Can I make a 40 yard shot with my equipment? If it was 40 yards. Yeah. Can I, can I make a assessment of doing that? You know? And yeah, it's funny. Cause I wrote a Facebook thing year quite a while ago. And you know, it was either on uh, the hardwired thing or DBs with the last thing Wayne and I always did when we were actually able to train with each other before somebody was gainfully employed uh, is, you know, we actually were shooting every week. Um, you know, the last thing we ever did, every did every time we stepped, the first thing we did when we stepped on a range was a test. And the last thing we always did was we shot at 50 or a hundred. And it was with Wayne. It's always wants it to be a hundred. Daryl always wanted to do it at 50 and we were, ah, come on, it's good enough. Uh, how about 50? And he agree. And then he goes, ah, come on, while we're down here, we're already halfway there. Let's go to a hundred, you know? And, you know, so, you know, I did a whole post on, on do hard stuff. You know, this is part of doing hard stuff. And I mean, that was, um, you know, do stuff you're not good at, you know, reality. I mean, that's been been sort of the thing for me with the red dot stuff. I can sit here with a microscopic sized gun with a red dot on it and actually make some shots that my um, eyes won't let me make otherwise. Okay, great. You know, that's a good capability to have that, you know, you never really know. The other thing is, too, as I can tell you, because um, unlike a lot of people who not ever done that before i can tell you firsthand that it doesn't look like when it's actually happening um i probably i don't know if i would have taken the shot i took at 47 yards if i really thought it was 47 yards right that but might have parked happened, something in there right that said, it, it, yeah eh. but again it was my first time you know again we get back to the i keep telling people when it's your first rodeo um, it, it, it's going to be a learning experience more than a, than a punch in the stud thing. You know, um, there should be, be some mistakes in there usually is what happens that, that you just, you know, by luck end up working out. And 
the reality is that 47 yards at the time didn't look like 47 yards. I was so hard focused on a front sight, you know, because you can't do that. Um, that, yeah, I really didn't get, you know, the, uh, the uh, perception of distance. So, again, you know, these things, when they pan out, they're not always how you can replicate them. What it comes down to is application of fundamentals. And, you know, so you kind of get back to that again. There's a lot of brain power being used on these force decisions. And when, and I think it was Ken Hackathorn, I'm going to give him credit for this, that you better be on autopilot when one of these things happens. And if you haven't had your autopilot set, you know, being able to do a lot of this at the subconscious level, you're going to plug in what is under subconscious. And again, it gets back to what are you plugging into your subconscious? Are you plugging it? What are you plugging in that starts the shooting process? What are you plugging in that starts the process of when you get to point a gun at somebody? You know, and we come from an area, you're on kind of the, the tail end. I was grew up in it. Guys like Wayne and Rob Garrett, some of these guys are deep in it. Um, you had to point a gun at everything if you had a badge. I mean, you were expected to. Right. Don't tell me that hasn't gotten reprogrammed. Yeah. And it should be. And it should be. And unfortunately, we still got a lot of cops out there pointing guns at things they shouldn't be. And, you know, again, on the citizen side, do you really want to be pointing guns at stuff that you shouldn't be? Well, because that's what we do all the time when we train. Because just it was kind of interesting. So we just did this. uh, non-permissive environment class I do with uh, Chuck Haggard and Cecil Birch. And it's kind of Cecil's baby. And uh, Chuck and I help. And, you know, I end up on the, the firearms thing as I stick almost strictly to the firearm. Chuck, or uh, Cecil sticks pretty much strictly to the uh, physical side. Chuck kind of bounces all the stuff in the middle on how they get meshed together. And, You know, one of the things I found, we had a kid in the class who was probably a while like this kid who was just in this mall shooting. And I say kid, he was one of those guys just ages while he's older than I thought he was. But not much shooting experience as far as taking classes and stuff. But he had all of the good genes, great vision, great physical skills, all that. It was really a good, good, solid shooter. But he had no bad habits. And it was kind of interesting to watch that he, it was like a lot of times I find um, why I so much prefer training uh, women shooters for the same reason. Without a whole bunch of preconceptions and stuff that's been put in his head, he just did what I told him and executed well as far as handling force situations because he didn't have, he hadn't been running around Muslim targets all the time. He never really shot much with more than one target on the range right probably a little nervous to even get his gun out at this point right right? so it got kind of easy to train him not to shoot point guns at things you shouldn't be if that may you know so again it 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 became and then some of the people i had out there were exceptional shooters who had a really really hard time with not pointing guns at things because they do it all the time for their their shooting hobby you know it's that you know when they see a uh, you know brown you know uspsa or idpa target it's on it's 
Yeah, that's bad guy. Yeah, me putting a little X on that doesn't mean crap as far as pointing guns at it. Well, in my class, it does, you know. So, and then, you know, all these people have never worked with backstop issues. Right. Everybody likes to talk about it, but have you actually gone out and done it? You know, I mean, and we, we fail at this in police training and citizen training and stuff. How often are we throwing? We talk about backstop. We kind of give it lip service and stuff. And then how often are we putting targets behind other targets? Right. Because you can't train people to not do it if they've never done it before. So, yeah, let's let's kind of wind this back to see, evaluate, eliminate. And I'm going to I'm going to talk really good on you and Cecil and Chuck's course here. Cause I was having a conversation with uh, one of the guys that was in that class uh, a yeah. couple weeks after. And he talked about, yeah, you know, I'm an avid jogger Were they in therapy. What's that? Were they still in therapy? Probably. I think he was still processing. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, great dude. Uh, good a lot shooter. A lot, lot of murders got happened. <laughs> and one of the things he, he talked about was, you know, once I, I kind of grasped that concept of see it, evaluate it, eliminate it. He goes, I realize that I do that a lot because he's an avid jogger. Right. Yeah. And I know this sounds like a very, like a microcosm of that concept, but he goes, so I'm running and a dog is closing on me. And, and you know, we, we think about that and we go, that's not a forced situation. Well, when somebody's prized bird dog or somebody's prized, you know, attack dog over here, that's, you know, worth more than my vehicle i've got to evaluate hey do i deploy something at this do i kill it do i deter it what do i do here to get to to eliminate well, yeah. that threat situation he goes this is i realized i was doing that process i had just never thought about that's what that process is and i said have you maced a lot of dogs and he goes oh yeah Palm is awesome. Like, you know what yeah. I mean? But, but he well, and here's equated the thing, those two. But, you know, so here's the thing that's kind of a funny with that. So does he have a lot of experience jogging and dealing with dogs? Yeah, absolutely. Actual practical infield experience. Has he ever had a dog in a competitive shooting thing? Like, okay, here's the dog you're going to shoot or pepper. Right. Well, no, he, absolutely right. See, he doesn't have any bad habits with the dog. All he has is practical experience. You know, yeah. that's, you know, I tell people I rode a bicycle in the ghetto for four years. I mean, give me a break. I mean, dogs are my thing. I got a whole process for dogs and I love dogs. So I like them more than people. So I've been blessed with never having to dump one. Um, guys used to make fun of me and how I dealt with dogs to do anything other than shoot them. Well, you know, it's kind of like that. It, it, that noise you're hearing in the background is the the zillion dollar bird dog that right. is gr- grinding up a, a chewy right now. So, mommy's out of town. I got the dog solo, and you know, it's like so. Again, you, you start putting that practical experience together. Well, you know, when it's your first rodeo on a dog attack while you're jogging, that probably didn't go well. No. Maybe you not. Know, you know what I mean? And then it's like, I'm going to carry pepper spray and then it's going to be in my hand. And then, I get, and then you're starting to formulate based on experience and you get kind of good because this is your world. Well, for a lot of us, the second we strap a, a firearm on to carry in public, we need to be really thinking 
like you're talking about, is that a $10,000 bird dog? Is that somebody's pet that is going to be, do I really want it? It's going to be, it's sort of the same thing with people. You know, I, I kind of gotten into this thing is what we're actually out here teaching is the ethical shooting of humans. If you look at it in a hunting context, is that, you know, you would never take somebody out in the field with you who couldn't put a heart lung shot on a deer or let them take a shot that that wasn't or any animal. If you were ethically hunting, right, you would never take somebody out with you who, yeah, the best they're going to get, they might hit one in a hind quarter or a leg somewhere where you never take that person in the field. We send them out as cops all the time and we send them out as citizens with a you know, card that says they're okay. And they can't make a ethical shot on a human or even know what that looks like. You know, I mean, you got, I just finished up, up in Wyoming and, you know, you got guys out there who are long range hunters. They can do amazing stuff at some uh, incredible distances. You and I both know that is not the case for a lot of people who are out hunting. So they got to understand where that ethical thing was. I mean, well, you know, especially like I'm getting, I've gotten into kind of the bow thing. Like for me, if it's not inside of 10 yards, I'm probably not taking that shot with a bow. And that's why I'm not a very successful bow hunter yet. So, you know, cause, yeah. cause the ethical shot is critical to me. I don't want to wound something, you know, I've, I've and, passed on so much stuff with archery just yeah. because I thought, no, that's, yeah, I'm going to let that walk. Some, and it's frustrating, yeah, it but is, it's a discipline. But, and that's that's why I kind of love the bow thing because it is super. To me, it's like God. This is like kind of being out in the field with people again. You know, the uh, it's like a meditative it, thing. Yeah, like, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, you know, I did one of the. You know, I'm not a big hunter. You know, I, I got. You know, I'm always sitting here with this wall full of dead animals or all my wife's. You know, which but, is awesome, you know, by this, the way. Yeah, it was just you know, I did this hog hunt thing, and I'm like, I'm sitting out here with a suppressed rifle and night vision and stuff in the middle of the night murdering hogs i mean it was hog murdering i'm not i'm good with it because they needed it you know in texas it's critical that you're out there murdering hogs in the middle of the night but it was literally hog murdering yeah um you know the uh it's a big different story if it's you know a game animal and you tend to eat and you don't want to waste it or injure it and not be able to recover it and all that and this is a lot of the same processing goes on when we're dealing with people, you know, and we're force application is a lot of these same kind of things. And it was one of the reasons like guys like Jim Cirillo would use, you know, they wanted people who, who hunted, yeah. you know, as was part of the criteria for that unit, because again, it's a discipline to do it right. And, you know, the, this is a discipline to do it right. And, when we're talking about using firearms against human beings, there's a whole under constitutional constraints within the United States. Again, the military thing's kind of a different world that is its own thing. And again, I get kind of checked when I, you know, well, that guy was overseas and did all this cool stuff and killed all these people. Hey, awesome. You know, um, thank God they're on our team, you know, right. and I want them, I want them to be killing efficiently as many ISIS people as you can kill efficiently. I'm, I'm on board with however you're doing that and teach others to do it. The reality, though, is as soon as you step foot back in the United States, it's a different set of rules. 
And that different set of rules needs to be respected on how we train for it. Uh, by the same token, if you're going overseas in that environment, it needs to be specifically trained for. So all of these things need to be kind of specifically trained for. And you have to ask the question, am I actually training for that? Or am I telling myself I'm training for that? Because somebody who has never done the violence thing is telling me this is applicable. And kind of just coming at it from both. I mean, I started as, I was a competitive shooter before I was a cop. It isn't like I haven't done, it isn't like I didn't do the trophy shooting speed thing. I mean, everybody's like, oh God, here's DB again. You know, I I did that. I get it. I I loved doing it. Um, You know, it's why every Friday night I'd pull up in the black and white at the range. You know, I'd go out early before I went on a graveyard. So I started at 11. I got permission to miss briefing so I could show up at eight o'clock at the range in uniform in a black and white and shoot matches. But, you know, yeah. but by the same token, I can speak with some level of authority that facing multiple suspects was not the same as facing multiple plates or multiple silhouettes. And the reason I stopped shooting a lot of competitively is I was getting bad habits. And when do you think I figured out that I was getting bad habits? When something really bad either happened or almost happened after I got in a couple shootings and was investigating all this stuff and all of these force incidents started building up, I started realizing I'm doing some dumb stuff out there. And it didn't mean I gave up competitive shooting. It just went, well, this is stupid. It's not applicable. If that's all you got, it's all you got. But you know, there's some point I tell people, I go, you need to be shooting competitively. If for no other reason to test your gear and to shoot somebody else's problems, if you want to be exceptionally good at it, you better start making some decisions about what you're putting into your, your permanent and how you're dividing that stuff up. And are you really putting the thought into what you're justifying doing and how you're doing it or offset it? So um, I just replaced it with doing a lot more directed stuff to exactly what I was doing and trying to build. And Pat Rogers was huge on this of trying to build these 24 hour days, seven days a week, TTPs of doing stuff over and over and over and over again to make, uh, to put in good habits, good street habits. It's the absolute equivalent is what, What's the difference between a C shooter and a GM? The GMs cleaned all of the bad out down to a high level of they are super, super efficient. And their habits of what they do on cleaning steps to targets, planning, shot call, there's a lot involved in it of what they're cleaning out. But we don't get shown the same respect when I tell people there's as much work involved in being going from a D street violence person, which means it's your first ma- match and you're not good at it. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. Right. To being a GM at violence is there was a lot of cleaning up and efficiency and, and getting your uh what you're putting in, what you're putting out, and where things fit in the importance thing, and what do I really got to be good at? And one of the things, you know, because I talk to these people, and, you know, you listen to them, 
they're mo- watch most of your very high level uh, competitive shooters. Just watch how they move D- because they figured out that that's where a lot of the winning happens. Yeah. You know, is the efficiency and movement. So again, the, the, how you get to be kind of a GM and violence world is efficiency in force application. Right. It's not really efficiency in shooting. That's like this little itty bitty part of it. I know a bunch of people who are true subject matter experts on application of violence and dealing with violence who've never fired a shot because they're so darn good at what they're doing. They don't have to. There's some people and you know, by the same token, just because you've been in the, some of these incidents, most of them are screw ups. Seen that know, too. Just because, yeah, just because a guy tells me, yeah, it's a cop and I shot. Yeah. Okay. I want to hear the whole incident before we start evaluating whether I need to listen to you is because, because a lot of what we've done in training the law enforcement side is based on failures. Uh, we are the, the kings of giving medals and uh, training stuff based on absolute sheer luck. Um, or, or the bad guys were just so much worse than the good guys and everybody sucked. Um, and that's, you know, that happens in the citizen world quite a bit too. If you look at a bunch of these videos, it's kind of like everybody in this is a complete amateur at this. You know, and by sheer luck decides who wins. You know, right. You're like, you know, you're just watching clown shoes for everybody. It's like being at the circus, you know. And so, again, it, we don't have a lot out there from from exceptional levels, which is why I study the people I study and mentor under certain people and talk to them is because we have so few people. And you can draw the analogy again. We have so few people who are GMs at shooting people efficiently getting sued, looked at by grand juries, federal law enforcement agencies, federal court. You know, we don't have a lot of those GMs out there, but they're there. And there's a lot to learn from them. And all of in, in again, they'll all get back to, this is about problem solving force application. It's really not that much about the shooting. It's just the shooting's much more fun. And we can put, you know, I shot this target with this time on YouTube because you got to show your timer and walk down to the target, you know, and do your whole drama thing of I did this thing, which is all cool. But you know how much that equates? You, you didn't equate a thing to me on how good you are at dealing with violence. Because if you crap your pants before that happens, you you won't do that. You right. know, that won't happen. Or if you're wrong. There's a consequence attached to it. For being wrong, there's a consequence. Yeah, because, again, you know, if the consequence is I took third, <laughs> you know. Totally yeah, get you it. Know, the, yeah, the only consequence is third, you know, whatever. Okay, you know, that's that's great and all. But, I mean, if the consequence is federal prison, that's a different story. Or flat dying. You know, just flat dying from from being trapped in, in, in the ability or inability to make forced decisions when they should. Lord knows one of the biggest problems we have now in law enforcement is actually delayed force decisions when not using enough force soon enough escalates these problems. Which is a whole and, other episode. 
And I'll tell you, that's with cops who do it every day. Can you imagine, you know, what a lot of the poor citizens out there are facing who've never done it? I mean, they're really the whole goal is to get through life. You know, if you're in the IT world or, you know, selling stuff or working somewhere, your whole goal is to get through life without ever having to do this. And if all of a sudden that day shows up, you know, what do you want in the in the banks on how well do you want to be able to do it? I mean, you the goal is to be able to be good at it, but the reality is you don't really know what you're putting in there or you don't know how you're really going to react. Because I've seen some real um, vocal people who are all full of themselves out here and they get into some little training scenario or something, you know, we put some little BS thing together that's, oh, this is a simulation or whatever, which is all great. But they completely screw it up, which is okay, because I'd rather see you screw up a force-on-force thing or screw up one of my accountability classes. You know, I tell people when I take the accountability class, I say, look, here's the thing. I'm going to break your ego. Come in here and don't have an ego because you won't learn anything if I don't make it hurt, if you don't make these mistakes. So we do force on force. We do some of this training to make these mistakes, but don't equate that with some level of expertise you now have on doing this for real. Anybody who's had it happen for real will probably tell you that it wasn't like a lot of these other things. You know, yeah. So, again, this is difficult, difficult stuff. And it's like, are we putting as much brain power to this as we should be? And who yeah. are we putting it, and who are we listening to on, on who's putting the brain power out there? Well, if we were uh, to hypothetically say this, this process, see, evaluate, eliminate, where would I, where would I direct somebody to, uh, one, get familiar with that, and two, start to practice it. And I don't mean practice it in like, okay, force-on-force gun gunfight scenarios. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, and I know it was a microcosm of an example, but your former student there that said, well, I do this all the time now, and I now I realize that I do this all the time. Like what's maybe a resource or somewhere that you could – you know, I don't know how much that. resources out there other than is is start constantly doing it. Um, you know, I tell people, I go, you know, it's it, you know, I feel sometimes I'm sort of sick with this, but I mean, it, it's because of immersion. You know, I mean, anybody who's into whatever they're into, you know, kind of put that into everything. You know, whether you're into cars or CrossFit or you know, tacos, whatever it is, right. you know. I see tacos everywhere. Everything's a potential taco. Yeah, I want to eliminate yeah. them. Yeah, it's <laughs> for taco whore. <laughs> the, uh, the, uh, the the thing is, is to start making, to start doing it consciously to make it subconscious, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Is that a lot of times we're subconsciously doing this, but we're probably not doing it right. Cause we're just floating around through life, you know, you know, thinking about Jesus and flowers and whatever's going through your mind every day or, you know, you know, who made you angry on Facebook or, you know, that's because if you're older, if you're young, it's who pissed you off on, on the grams or Snapchat or whatever the hell it is. And 
this comes down to how are you looking at people? Are you looking at thumbs? You know, part of how I teach this is a lot of this stuff is based on what thumbs are doing. Um, are you really getting good at looking at where people's thumbs are? Are you getting good at seeing people? You know, as Tom Givens always says, you know, look at most crime reports. They came from nowhere. Um, you know, so, you know, you, uh, you end up with, you know, that whole issue of, of, can we start breaking this down to where I am actually going out every day and trying to see things? If I see a bad guy, for example, I mean, if I see somebody suspicious on the street, you know, um, I was taking Melanie to the airport this morning, then kind of took, I got off the wrong exit because we were talking or doing whatever. So um, we're going on the street and here's this disturbed uh, homeless zombie, literally like carrying his pants mm-hmm. and throwing stuff in the middle of the street. Okay. I'm seeing that as a threat. There's a dude in the middle of the street. It looks like a zombie. Oh, he's throwing things. You know, there's more going on to this. I'm evaluating it. I'm already thinking, okay, if this guy does whatever, I'm going to park him right underneath the tires. Um, you know, the, uh, you know, we get body work done on the Range Rover. It's the big it's one. It's so. the uh, it's the, the tactical daydreaming scenario, right? Yeah. Is so I'm going through this whole thing, kind of processing this, and you know, like I said, he's throwing stuff or doing whatever the hell, and finally got out of the street. And you know, are you looking at backstop? If I have to make a lethal force application on this, what's my backstop look like? Why do you think I do that? Because I actually take it seriously and train to do it. You know, how many other people are looking at backstop? You know, so again, start putting all this in. Is backstop going to be critical? You know, is what would what are some trigger lines going to be when I get to the first evaluate lethally? What what red lines would there be when I need to stop? You know, are you are you pre-thinking this? And so, again, if you get out and start practicing just in daily life of looking at stuff with, am I seeing everything? Am I seeing backstop? Am I seeing maneuvering and positioning that might change scenarios? Am I putting myself into positions to better see things like the tool-killing animals that people are? Am I seeing what they're going to be bringing to this fight that usually is triggering a lethal response. Should I be prepping some OC? You know, should I start looking, where am I, where are my routes of, of evacuation? Can I get out of this? So I don't even have to be in it. You know, I'm, I, today, you know, see this guy, I'm going, you know, I can, you know, if he comes over that, if he goes that way and does something, I can actually just flip a U right here and not even deal. You know, yeah. are you looking at stuff like this? So, again, it's starting to trigger. Or are you just looking at this like, I got a gun. I'm cool. Bad guys are like, I totally smoked that dude if he was. You know, th- this is the problem. We get a lot of people out there. It's like, I got a gun. Cool. Because you know who's first rodeo with a gun you're not going to be? that dude right most of the people we're dealing with 
It isn't the first time they've had a gun pointed and probably been shot before or stabbed. You're not scary to them, in all honesty, because they're doing the same thing with you. They're evaluating you as a victim. You know, and we get a lot of people who are making poor decisions because I got a gun. You know, I go to stupid places because I got a gun. That's sort of last resort stuff. You know, you got a lot of process to get through, but how much work have you put into to not use the gun, not shoot the gun, when to stop using the gun, to let's not even get the thing involved? Or if we do, are we are we practicing to not get it pointed at things? Are we practicing to get it into play covertly? What are we really putting into the envelope of the big picture? And how does it apply to most of us? And again... You're out there operating in a Soros DA world. You better be right. You, you better be so right that that you know MSNBC thinks you're right. That's how right you need to be. Exactly. Um, yeah. If you get a kind of a um, you know, I don't know if you guys use the term wobbler out here on kind of between a misdemeanor and a felony, we call them wobblers out in California. You had a wobbler. It was one of those ones that could kind of go either way. You don't want to be on a wobbler on any of these things. So whether you're getting charged or not, you want to be pretty crystal clear cut uh, stuff. So um, there's a lot that goes into those decisions. And again, it requires as much, if not more practice than the actual pressing of the trigger and you know how much work we got to put in to be competent at that. Right. You know, I, I mean, you know, one of the, another favorite Vickers quote, you know, uh, you know, shooting a simple, shooting a pistol is simple. It's not easy. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, it, it, and the, the, these things in the force application sounds simple. It's not, it's not easy. It's, it's extraordinarily difficult when you get out of anomalies and the anomalies of those freak shows were like, there's a dude charging up the street with an ax holding a head. Those are not hard to make those decisions on that stuff. You know, the problem is going to come in when, what do we do about him? Uh, when it's some obscure thing, like you got a, you know, a drunk neighbor doing God knows what that's, starting a conflict or some you know mentally ill person that's not acting like or something's not happening that that had reached your tactical fantasy right um, i've had the i've had those in police work the guy that <laughs> you do that it all mo- the time that moves I mean, up on you and puts his hand in his pocket <laughs> and takes it out real fast and tries to get, tries to gain a little bit of space with you and is seeing and is testing where your limit of this is where this guy's going to start applying force. And I, I've seen that. I cannot tell you how many times where a guy doesn't do something overtly illegal. He just, he has his hands in a, in a manner that, well, I can't really say I don't see him, but he's not really doing anything aggressive, but he's closing distance with me. Well, how many times does somebody hitting you up for money do that to you? What do you think they're really yeah, doing? The, you know, and I go, yeah, the, I go, man, I've seen that movie before. And Dobbs and I, we, we were talking earlier today. You know, one of the fortunate things I have is Wayne Dobbs calls me from time to time, right? And we had this talk about uh, 
you know, like gear related stuff and then the anomaly. And it was like equipment, gun and ammo. Those three things, we've got that stuff in the bag now. We're not hand stitching holsters. The guns are better than they've ever been. And the ammo, the defensive ammo now is the best it's ever been ever. Uh, yeah. you, you can do it with, with just monotonous predictability. The one wild card is environment and environment comes down to, is it raining? All these other things. How do you carry your gear? Does that, and the, the main wild card is how all of those th- three things perform when the bad guy takes you to task, right? In the operational yeah. environment. That's the one that we know we don't have a real good control on. We can control all these other three factors, but the environment, you you can't control that. So all the other three things have to be in alignment to make sure that that tool applies in the environment. And it was really it was fascinating because talking to you, you know, we talk Cooper's Triad, we talk about C evaluate eliminate. Well, it's the same thing with it with equipment and gear and gadgets and, and ammo and guns. But with that stuff, we've, we've got the, the equipment, the gun and the ammo in alignment. We don't have the environment under control. No, it's a, it's, it's always going to be chaos. You know, that's what I tell people is the one thing I've picked up over the years doing this is these situations often end up in complete chaotic situations. And usually the people who, dominate chaos are the people who are good at staying calm in chaos. You know how you learn how to be calm in chaos? Do it. You do chaos a lot. Okay. So if that's not your life, because your life is a, you know, you're writing computer stuff, you know, which is awesome because that's a better way to live than living in violent chaos. You know, Um, you're going to have to do more work to try to figure out how am I going to stay calm in this? And if you think because of the lumen output of your flashlight is going to settle down that chaos, you're wrong. See, a lot of people are looking for an equipment solution or a, um, you know, I can do this drill this fast, the score, so that'll make, make chaos better. Um, it, it actually won't. You, you've got, the problem is you've set yourself up for one solution to chaos rather than adapting to it constantly and it is constant it is fluid and again so kind of my instructor cheat codes when i'm dealing with my students on this stuff is and the best job i ever had for this was the time i spent in uh, aviation um the people who work in the aviation world tend to be very good at this stuff because of the nature of the beast. It's very similar. They do it a lot is you have a lot of stuff going on and you learn how to task stack. There's no such thing as multitasking. Okay. It doesn't exist. There's stacking of tasks and they can be done very rapidly and it might look like it's all going on at the same time, but it really isn't. Mm-hmm. And how you prioritize and put the tasks in place is critical. And the problem is, is if you're constantly training and tasks are missing in your training, they won't be there when you need them for real. And, you know, if I was king for a day, I'd change kind of the entire way. And I have 
if I just get the right politician, I could sell Democrats on this. If I could just find a way to build targeting systems for uh, law enforcement training specifically um, to get a, some sort of massive federal grant for this, we could teach people not to do this. We could teach them how to task stack properly for application of lethal force. A lot of things have to go in there and how they're put in. What are the hands doing? What is in the hands? Where are they going? How fast do I need to get from my eyes to cheat back from hands to body? Why am I looking for when I do have to, if I have to make a shot, what am I looking for on reaction? When am I going to get signaled to actually shoot again? There is, it's complicated stuff that you have to put together. And it's not just because it's right there and it, you know, oh, yeah, here's just, you know, shift your eyes. Okay, cool. Because I teach a whole bunch of eye shifting stuff going on. But what I'm shifting my eyes to versus what other people are shifting their eyes to are two different things. They're shifting to a target. I need to shift to a new assessment. Right. I, uh, I'm shifting to evaluate, and I have to look at these to evaluate. Then I have to switch to where do I want the round to go. Then I have to switch to uh, whatever targeting system I'm using or sighting system on my my firearm to get the alignment on the spot I picked I need to hit that has nothing to do with these things that signal me I now need to shoot. And then I have to, every time I press, I have to decide if it's still there and are these still a threat to me. There's a lot going on. And is there anything behind it? Right. There's a lot you're putting into orders of doing this. And, you know, again, while the movement's going on to the threat in there, again, is backstop forestock. Am I having to cross over things I can't point a gun at? Where does the gun need to go to get in there? And again, this is all part of the C process. And then it has to switch into evaluate, then it eliminate. And they go very much in order. And they have a lot of pieces inside there. And again, if we're switching, if we're not training to put the pieces in the right place or thinking about it, or trying to counter if I'm putting pieces out of order or I'm missing pieces, when when am I putting them back in? Are we ever putting them back in? And, you know, that's kind of been the biggest response I've gotten from people when we're doing a lot of this kind of training is, I've never done this before. Nobody's ever put a target in front of me I couldn't cover. Well, they have. They just gave the wrong set of rules for it. Nobody's ever put a target behind stuff. Well, they're out there. You just never had to face it before. So it was never. You don't know what you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things we're looking at is what is the, what is, what are we really looking for, uh, for bullets these days in ballistic performance? What's the big golden number we're trying to hit? You know? We're looking for 12 to 16 inches in gelatin, which is a massive blob of trying to simulate different parts of a human being in a, in a block that gives us a thing. So um, if so, the, we've we've figured out and I, I agree wholeheartedly from going to lots of autopsies and shooting and looking at shot people is penetration is incredibly important. Again, we figured that out on the hunting side a long time ago. You've got to be able to get to 
funny how that works in it yeah funny well you got to be able to get into wherever the critical parts is um that are always in most animals are protected so the problem is is if you don't hit one of those and it goes all the way through are you accountable for that and being we're building ammunition that's designed to go deep you always screw this up they go deep into everything backstop becomes an issue I mean, for me, especially, uh, for example, because I'm carrying some subcaliber stuff now with my 32s, I need really highly penetrative ammo to make that 32 long work. So I get almost a recoilless system for my bad day. Um, do I need to be aware of backstop? Yeah. You know, or, or particularly my big bores. I'm big bore stuff I'm carrying with hard cast. I mean, it's critical that you're looking at uh what's behind you. So again, but I got to put that into the training block. I got to put that uh, thinking block of where that factors into it. And, uh, you know, I've had the, if I guess it's sort of a blessing at this point of, uh, actually seeing it for real. Well, I'm, you know, I tell people I go, I'm retired because of a backstop issue. I mean, the reason I'm medically done, you know, the reason I can't, do a lot of what I love doing is because I had a backstop issue. I couldn't take a shot. I wanted to because I had two little kids faces plastered behind the crook in a car. It's a decision. You know, if I was a bad guy, it wouldn't matter if I never saw it, it probably wouldn't matter until, but I don't know if I could live with myself that, yeah, I decked a pretty hardcore felon, but I also decked a six year old, you know, yeah. how do you sleep with yourself with that? I mean, you know, it's you know, can you can you live with that? You know, would it yeah, have been holy? You know, the, the the fact is, it was the felon's fault. Yeah, but it's my fault for not stopping it. And you know, I did. I took the you know, I took the beating. I took the injury off of that, or not killing the guy when I really wanted to, because I had a backstop issue. And, you know, yet I have to listen to people on you know, social media. You know, you can't really see that. Yeah, you can. If you train yourself to see it, you can. And the only thing that did it is because I had done it a bunch to go, oh, there's two little kids sitting behind this idiot. Um, right. You know, and, and again, it, it, it's hard. So, And on that, I know plenty of dudes, great dudes, that have been in clear-cut shootings that don't sleep well at night. Yeah. That have been in... 100% righteously justified, signed, sealed, delivered, and stamped lethal force encounters that that still struggle with that. So and again, in, that's, that goes into mindset stuff is, you know, I'm blessed. I slept like a baby, you know, uh, from mine. I mean, it's like, you know, they were, you know, again, so what I trained my whole life for it, so I believe why I was put on this earth is to do stuff like that. Um, yeah, I had a friend of mine who you know, killed my cancer all over the world of America's greatest enemies. And, you know, it was hard watching him sleep, you know, because the nightmares and the stuff were so horrific. But, you know, he said, he goes, you know, I, I justify this in my head is that, you know, God put me on this planet because I could do this stuff. So somebody else didn't have to, who couldn't deal with the aftermath of just killing a lot of people, you know, for your government. Yeah. And that's a, you know, again, it's, it's not everybody's wired that way. You know, and we like to think if I buy this gun and this optic and it'll wire me that way, it doesn't, 
you know, again, this is a whole other facet of this. And, but I think this, uh, you know, changing sort of the way we think about force application uh, helps on that mindset as well as that you're really putting, uh, being really, really morally, ethically, and legally right is a good uh, pill to take uh, to deal with the aftermath. Thanks, DB. Lots of food for thought. See, evaluate, eliminate. Making forced decisions. It's a lot harder than uh, a lot harder than it seems. Reminder: Check out today's sponsors, KSG Armory, makers of some fine Kydex holsters. Uh, CCW Safe, as always, CCW Safe, loyal sponsor of the show. Get 10% off your membership by using code OFFDUTY10 at checkout. EDC Belt Company. I don't really need to say much about that, right? It's only been the uh, a sponsor of the show for almost two years now. So if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. The Off-Duty, On-Duty podcast is a production of Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC presents the following content for educational purposes only. Always take proper precautions, follow all firearm safety rules, consult with a competent firearms instructor, and have trained medical staff on hand when operating live firearms. Legal content, commentary, or explanations do not constitute legal advice. We are not attorneys and recommend always consulting with competent legal counsel when researching or seeking to understand laws and legal application. Eastridge Training and Consulting, LLC, its participants, partners, and affiliates are not liable for any action taken based on the content of this shared podcast.